we're going to be we're going to be reintroduced to these religious leaders that are part of the Sanhedrin this morning in the book of Acts. You can turn to Acts chapter four, verses five through twenty-two this morning, and these religious leaders. We'll see their names here in a minute in verse 6, but we have been introduced to them in our study of the Gospel of John. And these are men that I'm sure if they heard that hymn, they would say that they were thinking constantly on God and that he was there, he was at the forefront of their minds and they were constantly thinking certainly on religious things but they were missing a true relationship with God in the midst of their devotion because they rejected Christ. So God really was not their vision. It was not in their forefront of their minds. Their own religious ways and their own pride and power were a part of that. And Peter today is going to boldly, in a careful way, confront their presuppositions, and even their presuppositions about the Old Testament that they know so well, these Sanhedrin members and these scribes and these priests and elders, they knew God's word well. And yet these Galilean fishermen are going to point out some things that they refuse to give consideration to, and he's going to offer them an opportunity to trust Christ again. He's going to point out the name by which we are saved. If you remember in our last study, um, okay, Peter had, through the power of Christ, had healed this lame man that had been begging for help, for alms, since he was a young person. He had had this, this lame condition all of his life. Everybody knew it when he was healed, and Peter makes it clear it was his faith in Jesus. So this man trusted Christ. It made a commotion. It was noticed. The power of Christ was on display in a miraculous way to the point where the religious leaders couldn't keep it down. They couldn't keep it quiet. And we'll see they have the same problem in the passage today as well. But they could bring Peter and John in for detention and give them an interrogation the next day. So that is what they did. They were brought in for detention for healing a lame man and proclaiming Jesus Christ. That was their only crimes, so to speak. And now they're going to be interrogated for proclaiming the name of the Savior. You remember recently when Peter had opportunity to um, proclaim his connection with Jesus? He failed miserably, didn't he? Denied him. Well, folks, he's not going to fail him today. As we look at this passage, he is boldly going to proclaim Jesus through the power of the Spirit working in him. He will be a witness despite the challenges that he may face. Quite a difference. What makes a difference in our lives? The same thing. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's not our own work. He will enable to give us bold witness. He will witness to the fact that Jesus is the only way. Salvation. Let's go ahead and read, starting at verse 7. We'll go back to verse 5 in a minute. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning, concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you, you could say completely well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Lord, we glory in this truth. We glory in the fact that it is only through Jesus Christ. It is the narrow way, but it is the way of salvation, the way to eternal life, life renewed, restored. And as this lame man had had restoration in his body, so we will all that have trusted in Christ in his name, we will all one day experience total restoration from all the physical ailments that we deal with. We look forward to that. But in the meantime, help us to be faithful dependent on the Holy Spirit to proclaim the name of Christ until he returns. And let Peter and John's example today be a motivation and encouragement for us to do that well, because we know it's not our own strength. Help us to just give the facts, let you do the work. <clears throat> this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The name by which we are saved, and Peter makes it clear, Jesus is the only way of salvation. And Jesus has full power for restoration. So back to verse 5. As Peter and John were put in attention overnight, the next day at the whim of the rulers and elders and scribes, they gathered again together. This is at least a um, partial gathering of the Sanhedrin. It, it must be by the description here. And they had a particular meeting place that they gathered together in Jerusalem, probably the same place where they met when they had Jesus in their midst. Here are Peter and John in their midst. With, and we probably remember these guys, verse 6, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the officially named high priest by Rome. Annas was the high priest in the minds of the Jewish people. Because if you remember the Old Testament, once you were, like Aaron, you were, um, you were chosen by God to be the high priest by the people. They expected that that person would maintain that position until their death. So Annas is always listed, even though he's not technically the high priest, as far as the government's concerned, he's always listed because he's the high priest of the people. Caiaphas was the, um, the legal high priest at this time. And then John and Alexander, who seem to be men who would eventually replace Caiaphas, they're all very prominent, all very well-known, because it says here, and all who were of the high priestly family. These are the most prominent men in Jewish society, calling these men, these Galilean fishermen, to give account of themselves for what they have done. Awful thing that they've done. And when they had set them in their midst, here are Peter and John in the midst of these men as they sit probably in a semicircle, as they had a tendency to do 
when they would meet together. So they're surrounded. They inquire, probably in not so nice a tone, by what power or by what name did you do this? They have one overarching question and an implication for these apostles. Who gave you this power? Obviously, there's power involved here. Remember, they weren't above assigning power to Satan under certain um, circumstances like they did with Jesus. And so they're asking, who gave you the power and authority to perform this miracle? And you could probably add as well in their minds are saying, because it sure wasn't us. We didn't give you the authority to be able to do this. You didn't talk. You didn't come through us on this. So what are you doing? How dare you do these things? And remember, folks, this is a who's who's list of important religious leaders that anyone would be tempted to tremble in the midst of. You know, it's even different when uh, I'm up in front of you, pulpit, stage, and you're all out here. Some people can be intimidated by that. When you're kind of surrounded by people, and you know, you've got people behind you, you can't see what they're doing. It's even more intimidating sometimes. And yet, we might think, what's Peter going to do? Because the last time, all it took was a little servant girl interrogating him for him to crumble. But folks, this time, under much more intimidating circumstances, we need to remember this is not the same Peter. This is the apostle under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a whole different matter entirely. Jesus has done a work in this man's life, and he does confidently have a message for these Sanhedrin members that he is going to give. And he doesn't answer, verse 8, in his own wisdom. He doesn't on the fly try to think of, okay, what did Jesus tell me in this context? What am I supposed to do? Because remember, Christ told us that at the proper time, when we face this kind of interrogation and judgment that the Holy Spirit, you remember that, would bring to mind what we need to say. And that's exactly what happens here. And so fueled by this power, he speaks boldly. Verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. And again, these are the priests. These are the prominent members of the Sanhedrin. Elders would have referred to the tribal elders that some of them had a seat at the table. You had the, the remaining tribes of Israel, and their elders sometimes um, were elected to this. And, of course, then the scribes, the, the Sadducees, the scribes were more Pharisaical. They were of the Pharisees. And all of these rulers of the people, they all ruled over the Jewish people and elders. The people of authority in our society. Peter knows who he's speaking to. He's careful, but he's direct. And he implies something, verse 9. If we are being examined today, I suppose there's, we could hold out that there's a small possibility that we're not being examined because of this. But I think that we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man. We're being interrogated because of a wonderful miracle that has brought benefit to not only this man, but joy to other people. Isn't it interesting that we're being interrogated today because of that. And if that's why you're interrogating us, because of this good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been, and the word here is completely healed, and it seems as if the man is with them as well. So here we have an object lesson, very apparent, 
what has happened here. And Peter may have pointed to him. See, completely healed. Why don't you jump up a few times? You know, uh, whatever your name, lane, former lane man, because we don't know his name. And obviously what had happened here. He says, then if that's the case, verse 10, let it be known to all of you, and we'll go further, we'll proclaim it to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucify, you asked, you asked by who we do this, it's by the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And let me remind you, that's the same person. He was your Messiah. He empowers us. And what did you do? You crucified him. There's some boldness here, right, folks? This is a changed man. You crucified him, but that couldn't, that couldn't accomplish your purposes. That couldn't give Satan the victory. Interesting as I think back, you know, they accused Jesus of his father being Satan. In actuality, and then Jesus came back and said, your father is, and obviously Satan was moving them and they crucified Jesus expecting to accomplish their goals and be done with him. And Peter says, no, it didn't happen because his father, God, who was his father, who is his father, raised him. He was resurrected from the dead. And we saw him. He said, he said this at other times. They have already given witness and many others that Jesus was raised from the dead. He was victorious. And Peter is describing that victorious um, celebration and that act. You tried to kill him, but he was victorious over sin, death, and Satan. And he lives today. And by him, then, this man is standing before you well. It's not by anything that we've done. It's not by the power of Satan, but it's by Jesus Christ. And you can't argue that because he's standing right here next to us. Jesus healed this man, the one you crucified. And furthermore, then now he quotes, as we heard this morning from Travis, Psalm 118. And they would have known this well. They would have thought of this psalm as a messianic psalm. That David had written. This Jesus, he's the fulfillment of Psalm 118. He's the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. In context, in Old Testament context, in that psalm, the Messiah was rejected by his enemies. And here in context, Peter makes it clear that these who are the very people of God, the religious leaders, the most prominent, most well-known leaders, people in this society, they have become the enemies of God. They've rejected his Messiah, the cornerstone, and they are the builders. It's interesting. It seems in my study at this time, but there were many times, it was a common theme in Judaism that a teacher of God's word, a religious leader, was um, compared to being a builder, would build people up in the knowledge of God's word. So if that's the case, then that makes Peter's point here even more direct and poignant. He's saying, you were the builders. You're the teachers. You're the ones we all look up to. And you can't even figure out how to build this thing. Because you missed the cornerstone. 
the most important piece of the building, the most important piece of the temple you overlooked. What was the cornerstone? You remember, we discussed this in our, in our study of Ephesians. But the cornerstone was the large foundation stone. From what we know, it was called the cornerstone. It was at the corner, and literally the rest of the temple, the way it was built, rested on that cornerstone. Without it, you couldn't have a building. Too unstable. It would fall apart. And Peter's pointing out here, you're trying to build this religious system, and you've skipped over. You've left out the cornerstone. So everything that you're doing is unstable. It's going to collapse because you've rejected the most important piece, the cornerstone. You guys are, are, are prideful and arrogant about being teachers, about being builders of people, and you're not very good at all because you rejected Christ, the cornerstone, the most important one. We get the idea, right? These men are actually, these prominent leaders, Peter shows them to be inept. How do you think that felt as far as their pride and arrogance goes? Boldness. And then Peter makes this wonderful statement. So simple, right? But so profound. And this is what we proclaim today, the gospel in one verse, that there is salvation in no one else. No one that follows the law. To the might, the tail. You're not able to. No, no religious leader. No other messianic figure. No other revered Old Testament figure. No one else. For there is no other name. And remember, the name represents that person specifically and who they are, the identification. So that person. And there is no other name. The name of Jesus, as he's referring to, under heaven. No one else is able to do this given among men by which we must be saved. No one else has the authority. You don't have the authority. It's only through Jesus, and he's the only way that we can be saved. That's really clear, isn't it? Folks, it's not, in one sense, it's not that hard when we talk to people. It can, there's, when we delve into the riches of the gospel, certainly there is so much depth. And, we can, and if we have opportunity, we don't want to be shallow, but another way we can make it so simple. Peter says here, it's only through Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus and something else. He's the only way. And so go through him. Trust in him. And through this, Peter is giving these prominent leaders an opportunity to trust Jesus Christ. There's no other way. You that say that you serve God, there's no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. Kind of a neat thing at the wilds of New England. Maybe you're aware of, of this, but there is a secret tunnel. Did you know? Have you seen the secret tunnel? It's really cool. I actually, uh, I maybe I should have known about this sooner, but we were helping out at a work day this past spring. I think it was one of my boys. Like, Dad, do you know where the secret tunnel is? I'm like, what are you talking about? Secret tunnel? How could there be a secret tunnel here? Yeah, I thought maybe it was in his imagination. No, there's a secret tunnel. And I was landscaping and helping pull weeds right by this rock wall and i walk over and sure enough i've never seen it before this i don't remember seeing it before but there's this in the rock wall there's this entryway and i go back far enough and there's a door wow well um come to find out that this was actually a type of historic landmark it was used by the underground railroad 
And I mean, these buildings have been around for a while, typical New England historical building. And um, furthermore, once I talked to Rand about this and some of the others, then he took me upstairs. You guys know Joe Kopp, um, assistant director there at the Wilds. And he has in his closet up in his room, he has this really cool secret closet. And Rand like tripped some sort of lever or something and this little door opened up and there was this little spaceway and the, the, the chimney or, or whatever, the brickwork there was right next to it. And you can see, you look down, there's this little small passageway where somebody could, if they put their back up against it, I guess, kind of lower themselves down. And that went into the basement. And through the basement, then you could get out through that door. Well, that was really cool. I was looking at this thinking, I don't know how anybody could sit in that little tiny passageway, but obviously if you're scared or your, your life is being threatened, you figure out a way. So they dropped down through that. And so uh, our friends, Tim and Jesse Howard were with us. And I asked Rand, I said, can I take and show them the door? He's like, yeah, you can go to the basement and, and take them out through there. So we went down in the basement and, you know, they were marveling at that and then took them to this little door that's only about, you know, a little over half my size. If you remember the Lord of the Rings, that's referred to sometimes as the Hobbit door. And we went through that door. <laughs> and at that point, they were behind me. There was no way, other way out from that tunnel and coming out through that stonework except to go forward. And I started to go forward and they're thinking, oh, this is so cool. And there's this huge, probably one of the big, the bigger spider webs I've ever seen directly in front of me. I can feel it. I'm already starting like, ah. And I'm like, oh, and I backed up. And, you know, Jesse's right behind me. And then Tim, what's the problem? What's the problem? I realized, ah, did you shut the door? Yeah, I already shut the door. There's only one way forward, folks. And it's through that spider web. And I went through that spider web. My wife, my wife would have stayed in that. She'd still be in that tunnel today. <laughs> and then immediately when I got out, I'm like, can you check me over? You know, I'm already imagining spiders. It was just a spider web. There was no spider bites or anything. And I was okay. But at that point, there was only one way forward. There was no going back. And Peter, in a obviously much more significant sense, says, you have to go through the only way, the only door, and that's through Jesus Christ. So they have a choice again, don't they? But unfortunately, these men are more concerned about their power and their authority. And so in the midst of continued opposition, we're going to see as well that Jesus is the one who aids our bold witness, even in the midst of contention and opposition. He can enable us to proclaim the truth. He provides boldness for powerful witness. And even these enemies of God, notice this, verse 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And on top of that, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, when they say that they perceived that they were uneducated common men, don't think that they were um, being insulting here, thinking these men are, are idiots. They're, they're, that's not what's described here at all. But as they looked at them, and as they, they probably knew something of where they came from, Galilee, they knew that they were fishermen. I'm sure they had a little bit of background. But even somehow just looking at them, they knew these were not men that had been educated in their circles. 
right? Paul was educated, the Apostle Paul, in these men's circles. Peter and John never had the opportunity. You might say that it was obvious that these men had the Jewish, did not have the Jewish equivalent of a seminary education. That was clear. And yet they were boldly preaching the truth of Christ. And they were amazed at their boldness. Maybe, I'm sure some of these men probably had been aware of Peter and how quickly he folded before in the courtyard. And maybe they were amazed by that as well. This is the same guy? Wow. And it was apparent, folks, this is the most important thing. They knew that they had been with Jesus. They fully recognized. And also, they can offer no rebuttal to these men. Because again, the miracle man is right behind them. He's with them. And that's what it says in verse 15. Or I'm sorry, verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say. What are you going to say? It's obvious that he's healed. It's obvious that he's completely healed. You can't argue that. So they're frustrated. I just thought about this as I was studying this. It really came home to me. Folks, do people... <laughs> recognize the evidence in our lives that we've been with Jesus? Do people see on a regular basis in my own life? Do people understand that there's something different? Do they see that the results of my spending time in God's word and my time in worship with him and my time in communion and prayer with him and the Holy and the submitting to the Holy Spirit do they see evidence of the Spirit's work? Do people see evidence in our lives that we've been with him? They did with Peter and John, and they should with us. But they don't always do that. Sometimes we may give in, or sometimes we may imply, we may be like the old Peter. <clears throat> yeah, I, I know. I know I don't know much about the Bible. Or maybe we'll join in with some of the things in conversation that we know are wrong is because we don't want to be embarrassed or because of fear or whatever. But folks, if we are growing in our relationship with Christ, if the power of the Spirit is working on us, in us, we're submitted to that, people will know. You won't be able to hide it that you've been with Jesus. And we want that. We want that testimony. Well, they couldn't hide it. There's nothing that they could say, but they knew they had to do something. So they send the men out for a few minutes. Verse 15, when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, basically just describing the same problem as the men leave, saying, what do we do? We don't have an answer. What do we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Not only is, is this man right in our presence, but all of Jerusalem knows this. There's no way out of this, folks, like that tunnel. There's only one way out. And we can't deny the fact that God has worked, and yet these men are so intent upon their own power and hanging on to their own authority that they feel like they have to devise something. They have to come up with something to tell these men. So the only thing they can think of is stop it. Stop talking about Jesus. We're not going to allow you to do that anymore. 
Jesus has provided bold witness for power or boldness for powerful witness, and he provides ability for further powerful witness. And these men are all together and they're like, Yeah, that, that's good. Just tell them to stop it. Tell them they can't proclaim Jesus anymore. Look at verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, because we can't have this getting out any further, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Stop talking about Jesus. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or teach at all, not even a little bit, in the name of Jesus. Now, again, the old Peter might have been intimidated by that. But this is a man, both of them, that are filled with the Spirit. And they answered them very directly. And Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, is enabling them in the midst of great opposition and intimidation to tell the truth here. And I found this interesting after studying it. Don't miss this. Look at his response. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. They leave it up to these men. They're not pleading with them. Please, please um, believe and, and, and listen to what we have to say and, and put your faith and trust. I'm not, not trying to deride that, but all they say here is, We've given you the truth. Now you have a choice in what to do with that. You choose. We've already made our choice. They don't spend a lot of time trying to persuade. They just say, you've heard the truth. Now you have to make a choice. Should we, if we are following the Messiah, should we follow and obey the Messiah or should we obey you? You guys decide that. You work that out among yourselves. But just so, just for the record, we've already made the choice. We have chosen to obey God. Verse 20, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. We've already made the choice, guys. This isn't a hard one. You can't intimidate us anymore. We're going to proclaim Christ. If you don't like that, be what it may. Do to us what you will. You decide. You know what this tells me, folks? Not that we can't continue to pray for people. I think it was Will Gawkin even this week emphasized the fact of how many people that have come to the Lord were people praying for them. That's important. We pray for them. But it's really in our witnessing, it's much more simplistic, I think, than we make it sometimes. We present the truth of God's word. And we let God do the work. They have to make the choice. I've heard preaching in the past, again, I don't want to derive this, but I think we have to be careful of almost making Christians feel guilty that they don't persuade and they, they don't continue to persuade people. Come on, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, or try to think of some creative way to, to, to get people read this book or, or do this. And, and we see here with Peter and John, the truth is enough. Give them the gospel. Let them make their choice. We've made ours. It's really that simple. Maybe that might cut down on some of our angst as well. And these men had no answer to them except to further threaten them, which obviously wasn't working very well. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, well, still, we want you guys to stop them. <laughs> they let them go. There's nothing else they could do. These men, these powerful leaders, are powerless to do much else because the effect of the miracle all over Jerusalem. What are you going to do? Let them go. 
what happens to us? Oh, and I should mention verse 22 as well. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Why would that be thrown in there? Well, this wasn't a young man. Not that 40 is that old. Let's be clear on that. 50 is not that old, actually. But this wasn't a young man. The, the, the point of the, the power of the miracles is being further presented here. This wasn't a spring chicken. <laughs> And yet he had full, complete restoration. It was obvious what had happened here. Folks, in application, we allow people to be too big in our lives sometimes. And it keeps us from just directly, very simply saying, Jesus is the way. He's the way. He's the only way. We let sometimes people be too big. And then what we do when people become too big for us, intimidation, whatever, Remember, part of why we're encouraging establishing friendships with people is so that that fear is lessened, so that we're more comfortable in talking to people that we know about the gospel. But when we allow people to be too big in our lives, what do we reduce? What do we do in our lives? We reduce obedience to God to a minimum. I'm scared. I can't talk to that person. So which one's going to rule? Well, I just I guess I won't talk about Jesus this time. And we reduce obedience to God to a minimum. We reject that rather than a little bit of awkwardness in talking about Christ. We don't have to do that. We can choose to obey God and say, Lord, I remember what you did to Peter and John. I need the Holy Spirit right now. I need to know what to say. I've been at a loss for words before, and I've been in a conversation with someone where I'm like, Lord, you're giving the door. You're opening the door here. I don't know what to say. You know, give me the, the, the words to say right now. And, and he does. He does. And then don't worry about how awkwardly they came out. And don't beat yourself up about, oh, I can't believe I said that word or I said this. No, remember, that's God's word. You just give the gospel. Let him work out the rest. Because the only way to God is through the name of Jesus Christ. Right? It's that simple. And this we must proclaim and then leave the results to him. It's not about our well-established or well-worked-out persuasion tactics. It's not as if, well, only a person that gets up at the pulpit and really pleads with people. It's not that that saves people. It's the power of Jesus that persuades men to trust him. So you just give the simple gospel message. You ask the Holy Spirit to relieve that fear, give you boldness and confidence. If you gave it to Peter, he'll give it to you. And then we just leave the results with him. That's pretty simple. We tell people the name by which we are saved. We expect God to do the work. Father, thank you for this simple truth. These apostles, these apostles were very direct. Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the Messiah. We, all of us, not just these leaders, all of us have crucified him because of our sin. And yet he offers redemption and restoration through his name. So help us to put our faith and trust in that name. I, I, I pray that everyone here has done that. We heard testimonies this morning of two.
that have done that. And we've heard many more. And then let us boldly proclaim the only way to God through your son. The Lord, do a powerful work. We pray for that. We may see souls come to Christ before Jesus returns. Do that work in our ministry as we trust you for the results. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.